God, we're grateful that we can come to you as your people, that, Lord, you are indeed the way, and that, Lord, you come to us to gather us together along this way, and that, Lord, in you we can find hope and peace and joy. Lord, make us a people, not only who are found, but, Lord, who are finding We're finding ourselves in you and Lord, finding those around us who are lost and inviting them to be part of this way. Pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a young kid, my mother gave me something awesome. She built me a castle bed and a plywood. And she was an incredible artist and she painted it wonderfully to look just like stone. Um, She even put some plastic vines along it uh, so that it looked really realistic. And there was a drawbridge that I could pull up at night and the Romanesque arched windows. And I remember I I could crawl into the bed at night and pull up the drawbridge and I'd be all holed up under the sheets. But even in my plywood fortress, I was still afraid of the dark. I would look out in my room at night and see all the furniture fade into shadowy forms. Now, I knew the place so well, but in the dark, it became this void in front of me. If I had to go to the bathroom, I would have to let the drawbridge down and grope out in the dark, hoping to feel my way to the door. It was a room that I knew well, but in the dark, it was unknown and scary. It's hard to know the way to go when you can't see clearly. Now, every one of us has a story like that, right, of of being in the dark. And even as adults, the dark can be unsettling. Not for fear of trolls under the bed, of course, but for me at least, the very real danger of Legos strewn across the floor, sharp as knives. Our gospel reading today finds the disciples likewise unsettled. I I wonder if the disciples felt like they were in the dark. Jesus is acting strange. Now, admittedly, he was always strange, but this may have felt different. It all started around dinner time, right before Passover in Jerusalem. Jesus bends down and washes the disciples' feet. Peter causes a fuss like usual, and the rest of them go along with it. Then the tone changes. Jesus, he seems troubled. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then he starts talking about going someplace they can't go and asking them to love one another as he has loved them. And then Peter, he puffs up his chest and says that he's going to follow Jesus anywhere and that he's going to lay down his life for him. And Jesus, he says that before the rooster crows, Peter would deny him three times. Now, if I were in that room, I would be freaked out. What is going on, Jesus? You're scaring us. And that is where our text from this morning picks up. 
see Jesus, he's looking around and no doubt he's reading his room. Everyone is on edge. Everyone can feel that the stakes are high now. Everyone senses there is something happening and nobody can see what it is. Like looking into a dark room and not knowing the way to the door. So Jesus comforts his disciples. And he begins a long sermon to say farewell. And, and the sermon, it stretches from 14 to 17. It's called the farewell sermon, as it will. And the very first words, the very first words of this sermon are, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. I am going to prepare a place for you where you may also be in my father's house. And Thomas asked, Jesus, um, how, if we don't know the place that we're going, how can we possibly know the way? To which Jesus, of course, replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has, has seen the Father. How, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not know and do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, if there had been any doubt at this point in the gospel that Jesus is claiming to be God, his saying, I am, um, it should be expelled in this passage. I am in the Father, and he is in me. And so here are the disciples are in this place of dismay. Their hearts are troubled. They feel like um, they can't see what's going on. And Jesus asks them to trust him. They think they do not know the way to the Father's house. But they do know Jesus. And, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to show them that he is the way, that even when they think they don't know the way, they know him, and that he is the way to life. The disciples are in the dark, but John tells us that he is the light of, that his life is the light of men. He is the thing that makes everything else slowly come into view. And if we are in the dark and we do not know where to go, we can hold on to Jesus. And in holding on to Jesus, that we can come to behold the triune God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in the Father. Trust in me. I am the way where you see no way. And as Christians, those words give us hope. They give us hope in uncertain times, times where the future is dark before us. For instance, like when you're in the middle of a global pandemic. However, the definite article in that sentence is controversial. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, those are strong words, exclusive words. And if you're like me, you might be tempted to ask yourself, how is that good news for the world? How is this good news for Boston, Massachusetts in 2020? How is it good news for my neighbors and colleagues and friends? Like, what are we supposed to do with this bold, exclusive claim that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, the only way to the Father? 
Well, in John, the world, the word world, cosmos in, in Greek, is simultaneously something opposed to the kingdom, at odds with it, and also the object of God's redeeming love. The word, the logos, is sent into the world, and the world knows him not. The world rejects Jesus, and it is in the context of that rejection that Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The scandal of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is nothing new. Scripture tells us that God loves and desires the world and that the world does not know him. There's nothing particularly novel about where we are in history or space, being a community of the way, a church in a pluralistic society. Christianity, in fact, catches fire in a pagan and polytheist world. The church is used to being audacious in our claim that Jesus is the way. But in particular, this universal claim of Jesus' lordship, that Jesus is indeed the way, that he is the one in whom all things hold together for all people in all places in all times, is very good news, is very good news to our culture at this moment. And if I'm honest, sometimes it is easy for me to forget that our commitment to truth with a capital T is a good thing. And in part, that's because I have seen too many people who have used, used truth to justify tribalism and authoritarianism and ethnocentrism in the name of it. And those realities deserve our wholehearted lament. But that does not change the fact that this is still good news for the world. And I want to explore how it's good news in two ways this morning. First, Universal truth is good news for our pluralistic world because it provides the basis of our shared meaning. And second, Jesus as the way is good news because in him, God comes near to us when we are unable to find our way to him. First, universal truth is good news for our world because human beings, creatures made in the divine image, have shared meaning, beauty, and truth. And it is on the basis of this that we can pursue a common life together, that we can work towards peace. Leslie Newbegin was an Anglican pastor. He was a missionary in India uh, for many, many years. And he came back to England in the 1970s, only to find that his own country had become secular. And he wrote a number of simply prophetic books about the nature of Christianity in the West. One of my all-time favorites is Proper Confidence. Um, I highly recommend you look it up. And, and he argues that the whole Western world and places like Boston most acutely have very unfortunately divided the world into facts and values. Facts are things that can be known, quantified, measured. They're not measured matters of opinion and values, things of essentially personal preference. Facts are things that are real and public. Values, and something important maybe, um, but only exist in a private sphere. 
values are subjective. And Newbegin, I think, rightly sees this as a tragic misunderstanding of the way that the world really is. We, all of us, are formed by this way of thinking in the world. And it jives particularly well with our American consumerist culture. In this scheme, faith commitments are akin to something like a consumer preference. Pepsi or Coke, crunchy or smooth peanut butter, Christian or Baha'i. This way of approaching meaning and truth cuts to the very heart, cuts to the very heart um, of how Americans think. And I think that's most acutely seen in Supreme Court Justice's Anthony Kennedy's um, decision in Casey in 1997. He wrote this in the decision, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. A sentiment that I think Disney has instilled through all of us in its movies for years, follow your heart, find your own truth. However, on the opposite side of this, um, we have a world of facts, of sciences, and these provide real uh, and a shared, real things that are a shared language. In fact, the scientific profit, uh, process at its core assumes a real and rational world out there, a cosmos that is beyond our own imagination, that is measurable and discoverable, a coherent universe, the surprising experience of which we get to share in common. An, experience, an experiment can occur in Los Angeles and be replicated in Hong Kong because there is something real to work from and toward. By contrast, this vacuous vision of vision, a vision of values, which claims to be liberating, is in fact paralyzing. And at its core, I really believe is nihilistic. To put it simply, we should all define our own concept of existence, meaning, and mystery, in Kennedy's words, only if at the end of the day, these things, they don't really mean anything anyway. We can only be totally free to create whatever meaning we want if there is no real meaning for us to share. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is not a statement of personal preference or proclivity. The claim that Jesus is the way is a public truth, a way that is offered not just to those in a particular spiritual niche market, but a hope offered to the world. I want you to imagine again that you are in a dark room and you need to find your way out of it. You would instinctively put your, your foot down and your hands out to feel for things that are solid. You would look for a light somewhere for an exit. Now imagine instead that you are told there is no floor, there is no door, that you have to make your own floor to stand on, that there is no exit. You must simply come up with one on your own. You can grope around, but really you just have to decide for yourself what is out there. Oh, and by the way, you are all alone. No one else can tell you where to walk because you have to make this up on your own. Whatever meaning you're going to find has to be one of your own construction. You determine your own gender, identity, truth, meaning, ethics. That is supposedly the glorious liberty that Justice Kennedy wrote of. But that is not liberty. It's not a liberty that enlivens the soul, but rather paralyzes us.
Now it's worth noting that this fully relativized view of truth becomes appealing when the other side, our confidence in what is true, is not paired with love and humility. Now, very few people actually picture themselves in this way. They don't think enough about this in general. And as a pastor, I think in part because when they do, despair rises up inside them like a yawning abyss of the soul. I see it in people in the world all the time. There is a reason that anxiety rates and suicides and overdoses skyrocket. And this yawning abyss of the soul, it erodes the very foundation of our common life and our purpose together. It eats away at shared, shared goods, shared visions of good. It relativizes everything that gives our lives meaning, beauty, truth. But, but boldly and publicly proclaiming Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is good news because it declares to all the world that you are not alone in the dark, that there is truth with a capital T, meaning, and beauty that are external to us and part of a coherent creation, just like the natural world is part of a coherent cosmos. You are not God. You are not the one who must produce your own reality or meaning. You have a God who loves you, who made you for relationship with himself, and in him we live and move and have our being. There is someone real in whom to hope. And that is supreme good news to people who feel like they are adrift, who are lost in the dark and isolated. It makes possible a shared life together. It makes possible conversation about the most important things in our life. In a marriage, there is a true path to walk together. And when one person gets lost, there is something whole and good to call them back to. And importantly, when a black man is shot, lynched, if you will, while taking a jog on a Sunday afternoon, Christians can and absolutely must stand up and say, that is evil. Not just evil to us, not just offensive to us, but evil in an absolute sense. And we need to do something about it. A universal ground of truth may not always be fashionable, but it is good. And we as Christians should not shy away from inviting those around us to taste and see that it is. But it's not just universal truth in general that we're talking about here. Second, it's about Jesus being the truth. Even when someone comes around to thinking that there is something real out there in the dark that they can grope for, the prospect of doing so is terrifying. How does anyone find their way to God? That is beyond daunting. It is impossible and not good news at all. But this is. The word became flesh. The gospel is not that we find our way to God, but that God finds his way to us. He is the way to us. When we are in the dark, when we are paralyzed by anxiety and fear, when we do not know what to trust, Jesus says to us, I am the way. Trust in me and you will find light and life. 
In chapter 9, Jesus is fleeing the temple, and he sees a man who's born blind, uh, a man who's lived his entire life in the dark, a man who has been judged a sinner unrightly for his condition, and he's stuck. There's no way out for him, and he's simply a beggar on the steps of the temple. And Jesus finds him. He comes to him and heals him, and he is transformed. This beggar is transformed, barely recognizable. And when people, the leaders of Israel, grill him on the specifics of who Jesus is, he says this, all I know is that I was blind, and now I see. Proclaiming that Jesus is the way is good news because he comes to find us. We don't have to come with everything figured out. We don't have to have everything together. He finds us when we're blind and abandoned. And that gospel of God's radical love and rescue is not just true for us. It's true for the world. For people standing on the edge of an abyss, there is something real to invite our world to know. And so do not let your hearts be troubled because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, especially in an uncertain time like this, we pray that you come and find us, take us by the hand, that, Lord, we can trust your footsteps, that, Lord, you would provide for us just enough light to see where we're going, and, Lord, that we would find our confidence in you, confidence to proclaim the good news of you being the way, the truth, and the life in a world that is lost. Pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.